a wonderful blessing it is. I'm glad that you're here this morning. And again, I pray that you have come with a receptive heart uh, to hear what the Lord wants to speak to you about. You know, today we return to Luke chapter 16, where we look again at two men and their destinies. But you know, as I reflected on last week's message, I thought, whew, all this talk about death has kind of got me depressed. Amen? So I want to assure you this morning that this message is going to lift your spirit as we continue to talk about what's going to happen after this life. This morning, not only are we going to find out, does heaven exist? We're also going to find out that heaven is a whole lot better than you thought. Amen? And I pray you're looking forward to that. In these verses, we find the narrative, not a story, not a parable, an actual factual narrative of two men and what happens to them immediately after death. And we're given a clear picture of one basic truth. Listen carefully. There are only two possible eternal destinations. Either a place of comfort or a place of torment. It's one or the other. And each one of those is just as real and just as eternal as the other. It's been reported that every, for every American that believes that they're headed to hell, there are 120 who think they're going to heaven. But I have to tell you this. Heaven is not our default destination. Heaven is not our default destination. No one goes to heaven automatically. The bottom line is this. Unless our sin problem is resolved, unless our sin cancer is cured, unless we are willing to surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's only one true default destination for us, and that would be an eternal separation from God in that place of torment. But no one in their right mind wants to go to a place like that. So today... I want us to see what we can understand about heaven from Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. Same passage as last week, but from a different perspective. The Lord Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores and in poor health who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that when the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments, the rich man said from Hades, as he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember, 
in your lifetime, you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from here pass to you. This morning, we're going to focus on the fate of Lazarus after he was carried by the angels into what was called Abraham's bosom. He was carried into the presence of the Lord. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, the Bible tells us the destiny of believers. It's real clear. The Bible says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. That is the destiny of believers. Listen, friend, there is no purgatory. I don't know what you've heard throughout your life. There is no limbo. There is no soul sleep. There is no place between us and the presence of the Lord or us and a place of torment depending upon where you place your faith. But the Bible teaches this. That when our bodies cease to function, the spirit is separated from the body. But the body will remain behind, but only temporarily. It does not matter if that body has been buried. It doesn't matter if that body has been cremated. It does not matter if that body has been lost at sea. Now some will ask this. How can God raise the dead if the body has been destroyed? Well, think about that for a second. If God can raise the dead, God can raise the dead. Somebody say amen. God can raise the dead. God is God. God is the creator. God is the recreator, if you will. And if he wants to use dust, he can. If he wants to use ashes, he can. If he wants to use soggy cells, he can. It just doesn't matter. God is God. And he can raise the dead. Now, in today's verses... The most important point I want you to get is this. Immediately after they died, both the rich man and Lazarus have a conscious existence. Immediately after they died, they have a conscious existence. And last week, we laid the premise for what happens immediately after death. The rich man died. And he finds himself in a place called Hades, a place reserved for all those who don't trust God. You see, when a believer dies, yes, the body goes to the grave, but their soul and spirit is immediately separated from the Lord into this place of torment. And the book of Revelation tells us that one day in the future, after the judgment, Hades and all of its inhabitants are going to be cast into the lake of fire, that place reserved for Satan and all of his followers. But when Lazarus died, his body went into the grave, but he was carried by the angels into what was called Abraham's bosom. And we talked last week, that's just a Jewish way of saying he was carried into the presence of the Lord. That's what happens when a believer dies. Their physical body will await the resurrection from the grave, but their soul, their spirit, their very being will go to a place of comfort in the presence of the Lord. Now, this truth is 
supported by many other Bible verses. For example, you may remember in Luke 23, 43, when Jesus is talking to the dying thief next to him on the cross. Do you remember what he said to that man? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. With me in paradise. Paul said in Philippians 1.23 that to die was to be with Christ. With Christ. And remember what we said last week in 2 Corinthians 5.8. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. With the Lord. And we're reminded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that these bodies of believers who have died await the day when the Lord will return from heaven with a shout. And when the trumpet sounds, listen to this, graves are going to be split wide open and disintegrated molecules are going to be reformed into glorified bodies of believers. And listen to what Paul said. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. With the Lord. Always with the Lord. So now that we're reminded about what happens immediately after death, let's take a few minutes today to ask three questions concerning heaven. Like, what is it? What are we going to do when we get there? And how do we get there? The first question what are we going to find in heaven? In his book with the same title, Heaven, Randy Alcorn makes a great point that some books about heaven are notorious for saying that there's no way for us to know what heaven is like. All we can know that is it's more wonderful than we could ever imagine. And it is true, friend, that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.9 that eye hasn't seen nor has ear heard nor has entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. By the way, do you? Yes, I do. Praise God for that. Amen. But in the very next verse, in verse 10 of, 2, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says, God has revealed. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. You see right here, friends, in God's Word, authored by the Spirit of God Himself, God does share. Some of what heaven is like. You cannot know anything about God other than what he has revealed in his word. If it doesn't correspond with this book, you might want to recheck what you're thinking. Amen? So let us know that yes, God does share some of what heaven is like. He tells us just enough about heaven to make us want to go there. Amen? He tells us just enough about heaven to help us understand and to look forward to what awaits us there. For the believer, when our earthly life is over, we as God's children, you know what we get to do? We get to go home. We get to go home in a very real sense for the very first time. You think you've gone home in this life? You ain't seen nothing yet. But what will this home look like? What will this home be like? 
I mean, if heaven is our home, then it's got to have qualities that we associate with home. Notice what Jesus said in John 14. Jesus said to his disciples and the believers that were listening to him, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. He didn't say, I'm going to go to an indescribable realm where your disembodied body is going to float around um, because that's not like any other home we've ever known. No, Jesus uses that word place. I go to prepare a place for you. And that word place describes heaven and he uses that word for a very specific reason. It's not just a figure of speech. It's a real Actual, physical place. It's a place that we were going to be going. And friend, if your heavenly home is a place, it's going to be a place of comfort. It's going to be a place of well-being. It's going to be a place of protection. It's going to be a place that you're going to share with all those who have gone before you in the Lord. And all those who will come after you in the Lord. It's a place. It's a place of meaningful worship. I fear many times on Sunday mornings, we don't have meaningful, life-changing worship. But heaven is going to be a place of meaningful worship. It's going to be a place of wonderful fellowship. It's going to be a place of delicious smells. Amen. A place, friend, of wonderful food. A place of incredible opportunities for you to use your God-given gifts. And you know what I say to that? Yeehaw! That means I get to eat, preach, and worship all day, every day. Praise God for heaven. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. But I do have a few questions about heaven. For instance... When we get there, what are we going to look like? What are we going to look like? Well, I'll tell you. You're going to look like yourselves. Now, I'm sorry, Brother Kyle. That means you ain't getting no better looking than you already are, bro. Amen? But we're going to be ourselves. Why are we going to look like ourselves? Because we're going to be ourselves. We're going to be ourselves. We're going to be the ones that God has created. Friends, listen, we need to get this through our heads once and for all. People do not become angels when they die. Somebody say amen. People do not become angels when they die. Angels are created to be angels. And people do not become angels when they die. People and angels are two different beings. And so we're going to be far different from them. So that may answer and give you a glimpse into what we're going to look like. You're going to look like you. I'm going to recognize you when I see you there. Because you're going to look like you. But the next question is, right on the tails of that, will we know each other when we get there? You know what I say to that? <laughs> Duh. Certainly. In fact, I think that we're going to know each other far better than we ever have. When Jesus and Elijah and Moses were transfigured on the mountain before the disciples, guess what? The disciples knew who they were, and not a single one of them was wearing a name tag. Amen? They knew who they were. I say, yes, we are going to know each other when we get to heaven. 
But I also want to ask, do those who are in the presence of the Lord now know what's happening here? I know that in Hebrews chapter 12, the first verse tells us to run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, knowing that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You see, when we consider the saints of old, the brothers and sisters who have gone on before us in the Lord Jesus, not only do they leave us incredible examples to follow, but I believe they're cheering us on from the sidelines. They're wanting us to do and glorify God. There's a short poem that I've shared at many funerals, and it expresses what it's going to be like when you arrive in heaven. And it's entitled, Just Think. Just think of stepping on a shore and finding it heaven. Just think of taking hold of a hand and finding out it's God's hand. Just think of breathing new air and finding out it's heavenly air. Just think of feeling how somehow more alive than you've ever felt and finding out it's immortality. Just think of waking up and finding out your home. Home. You see, if heaven is like home, then we need to understand it's not what is in the house that makes it home. It's who is in the house that makes it home. And as we get older, more and more people we know go home. And when we consider heaven, it's no longer about what the streets are made of. You know, I really don't care what the streets are made of. I'm more concerned about the people I'm going to find there. So what are we going to find in heaven? I want you to think for a moment about the saints of all the ages. And then I want you to add your own special list of loved ones who have gone on before you in the Lord Jesus. And then I want you to add the beloved presence and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ when you get there. And then you're going to find the true meaning of home. That's what we're going to find in heaven. But what are we going to do when we get there? 25 years ago, Time Magazine wrote an article and they polled Americans and 43% of those Americans said we're going to be playing harps in heaven. 36% of them said we're going to have halos in heaven. But harps and halos 
are never used, never mentioned in the Bible to describe anything that we're doing in heaven. The only things, friends, that we can know for sure about what's going to be going on in heaven is what you find in this book. This is the authority. This is the Word of God authored by the Spirit of God. And if you want to know what's going on there, if you want to know what God has revealed to you, here is where you find it. Make no mistake, one of Satan's most favorite tactics is feeding us unworthy, dull, and distorted views of heaven. The way Satan figures it, he says if we'll lack motivation to tell others about Jesus when our view of heaven ain't no better than our concept of hell. Does heaven excite you? Do you want other people to go there? Are you telling other people how to get there? Now, many Christians have believed at one time or another that heaven is going to be this never-ending church service. And can I tell you, that scares the fool out of them. They don't make it to church once a week, much less every day. Amen. They think, so this is it? A non-stop church service? Is that the good news? Well, let me tell you. Yes, we will be worshiping God. But you're going to be worshiping Him in a way that you have never, ever worshipped him before your heart is going to be full your mind is going to be focused and your only desire is going to be to honor the Lord our God I want to share with you a glimpse of this worship in heaven in the book of Revelation in chapter 4 this section is subtitled, The Throne Room of Heaven. And in it, John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come on up here. I'll show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like Jasper and Sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones and on the thrones I saw 24 elders now these 24 elders are symbolic of both the 12 Old Testament uh, tribes of believers and the 12 apostles in the New Testament the New Testament believers so all the believers Old Testament and New were sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads and from the throne proceeded lightnings and 
thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, of crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like a, a face of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Now that represents all of creation. All of creation is going to be at this worship service. And those four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is forever. Who, whenever these living creatures give Him glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, those 24 elders, the Old Testament believers and the New Testament believers, they fall down before God who sits on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before Him saying, You! are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. You, O Lord, are worthy to receive honor. You, O Lord, are worthy to receive power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created. That's a picture. That's a glimpse of this kind of worship service you're going to be experiencing in heaven. But you know, that's not all we're going to be doing. Because another thing we're going to be doing in heaven is we're going to be continuing to learn. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said that God will make us alive together. He will raise us up together. God will let, let us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus for ages to come. So that He might, here we go, so that He might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Somebody say show. Show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness in Christ Jesus. That word show means to reveal in a progressive and ongoing manner. So what is God going to be doing? He's going to be revealing his grace over and over again. He's going to be revealing His kindness toward us over and over again for ages to come. God is going to be showing you His grace and His kindness. You know, many of you old-timers like me know about a fellow named Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey made a career out of telling people the rest of the story. In heaven, we're going to be hearing the rest of the story for all eternity and it will never, ever, ever get old. Friend, you are going to be stunned to learn how little you know about God. You're going to be stunned to know, friend, all the things that you're going to learn about God. You're going to be stunned to know, listen, how incredibly God used you to influence people that you didn't even know. You know, occasionally I get an email, a text, a Facebook post, or 
even a face-to-face comment, and somebody will say, you know, God really spoke to me through that message. It came just at the right moment, just at the right time. And I got to tell you, that always blesses me. It always blesses me, friend, because I get excited when people's lives are changed by the Word of God. That blesses me. Well, in heaven, you're going to be hearing nonstop testimonies of how God used you to change people's lives. Many of you know a fellow named Philip Eady. Philip is the youth minister at Bethlehem Baptist Church now, but Philip grew up in this church. And I've heard Philip Eady sing on several occasions a song, one of my favorites, that's entitled, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. And in that song, the the writer envisions this scene in heaven. A scene where one by one individuals come up to tell you how much your life has meant to their life as they chose to live it for God. Friend, the awakening great stories that we're going to hear in heaven. Friend, they will continue if you'll just be faithful and not grow weary. In living for the Lord. So we've seen a glimpse of what we're going to find in heaven. We've seen a glimpse of what we're going to do in heaven. So only one very important question remains. How do I get there? How do I get to heaven? A 100 year old tombstone was found in an Indiana cemetery. And here's what it said on that tombstone. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. For as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Now somebody came along years after that and scratched some additional words on that tombstone. And here's what they wrote. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Mm -hmm. See, the sobering news about heaven, friend, is that all roads don't lead there. All roads don't lead to heaven. Can we then know for sure that we're headed to heaven? Yes, we can. You remember the verse I shared with you last week? 1 John chapter 5, 13, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know for sure that when our bodies cease to function here, we're headed for an eternity there. But no one goes to heaven automatically. No one goes to heaven by accident. We make a conscious choice. If you want to be headed for heaven, you must 
choose Jesus. A conscious choice. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the door to heaven. And any who enter by me will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way to heaven. And the truth and the life. And no man goes to the Father except through me. The Bible's clear that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, about 2,022 years ago, God sent a heavenly life preserver to people who were drowning in an ocean of sin. And that included me and you. And if you want to be saved from drowning in that ocean of sin, then you must make the conscious choice to grab hold of that life preserver that God has provided. Friend, that life preserver is God's one and only son, Jesus. So if you haven't made the conscious choice for him here so that your eternity is assured there, I want you to know that today you can. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is 100% absolutely accurate and there's nothing else that we can do but put our faith and our trust in your word. Father, the things that you have outlined and revealed to us in your word about heaven are but glimpses of the goodness, the comfort, the well-being and protection that we're going to enjoy there. Father, if there is one here today that does not know because they have not placed their faith in the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that during this decision time, they would not hesitate one more day. Father, I'm excited about heaven. And if if it was your choice to take me this minute, I'm so ready to go. I can't wait to see the face of my Savior. I can't wait to see my mama, my grandmother. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that, Father, you would well up within each one of the believers in this room and give us a, a spiritual excitement about this awesome, incredible opportunity to come home. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen.